Right. My name is Steve and I'm bald. Duh. A bit of a strange introduction, isn't it? I don't know if you'd make an introduction like that if you were walking into a room of people that you perhaps didn't know so well. My name's Steve and I'm bald. Now, I've got some, I've got some brothers out there. Uh, brothers, you might do the same thing. That's all right. That's right. It's a good thing to do, but it's a strange introduction, isn't it? We have a range of uh, approved introductions that we have when we introduce ourselves in the world around us, and that's not usually one of them. We don't usually point out things like this. What would you point out? If you were walking into a room of people you didn't know so well, how would you introduce yourself? What would you say about yourself that marks you out differently to others? Well, today, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know this. You can mark yourself out in any circumstance, in any place, as a child of God. God is with us. And as a child of God, where God is with us, uh, we will, well, we will identify ourselves in a different way. Not only by what we say, but the way we live and act. As a child of God, with God with us, we will seek to honour and obey our Heavenly Father. That's who we are. More important even than being bald. That's the most important thing. And today we're going to see that in the story of Joseph from Genesis 39 through to Genesis 41. We're going to look at these three chapters this morning. Please make sure you've got your Bible there because we are going to skate over some of the details as we look together at the big ideas of this passage. As always, we have a question time after our sermon later on today. The place to get that is on your device, slido.com and the hashtags HB. SP. I'm going to pray and we'll dive in together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, please be with us and uh, remind us that you speak to us in your word. Give us your grace to put out the distractions of the day that we might see what you're really saying to us. And please help us not to leave here uh, having just heard your word, but ready to do what it says. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we picked up the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 a few weeks ago and we found at the end of chapter 37 that he was thrown down a dry well and eventually sold off to be a slave in Egypt and at the end of chapter 37 we found that he uh, it was sold to be a slave in a high-ranking official's home chapter 37 verse 36 says that he was sold to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh the captain of the guard and after a brief interlude in chapter 38, we come now back to chapter 39 and see the same thing in verse 1. He was with Potiphar, a captain of the guard. But look at verse 2 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in, his, in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and all that the Lord uh, uh, caused, all that he did to succeed in his hands God is at work in Joseph's life God is with him immediately upon becoming a slave in Potiphar's house he is given success in all that he does so that we read in verse 6 he becomes basically the chief of staff in this household he's in charge of everything in Potiphar's household except the personal matters probably things like getting dressed and eating food he didn't do that but he did everything else But when you think about it, it's a mixed success, isn't it? I mean, it's a mixed success. 
I mean, it's great that God's giving him success where he is, but let's be honest, he doesn't really want to be a slave where he is. It's better at home with his brothers and his dad who loved him and favoured him over everyone else. It's a mixed success. And yet he was still blessed by God. God was with him and provided him with success. And if you know and love the Lord Jesus, it's right for you to understand this. God is with us by his spirit. Now, of course, this is very easy to see, isn't it? When things are going well in our life, when we're able to see like Joseph in this situation, the exact things that God's doing and point them out in our lives, we say God is at work. And when we see that, like the person of Joseph, we have to turn to thanksgiving to God. It's great when we see God at work in this way. But this passage, I hope you'll see, has so many ups and downs to it. And it's not as if God is with Joseph in the ups and not in the downs. He's with him throughout all of these three chapters, indeed throughout all of his life. God is with Joseph in the bad times as well. And so uh, for the majority of the rest of chapter 39, we find this interesting situation that Joseph finds himself in. We read in the second half of verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He gets both form and appearance. I think he was bald. (laughs) Probably, probably. He was between, we know, between 17 and 28 years of age, we know. We're not exactly sure how long he'd been a slave for or whether or not uh, uh, he'd been there a long time, but he was between these ages. And we read in these verses that Potiphar's wife is keen on him. The passage is pretty clear. Come and lie with me. She wants to have sex with him. It's obvious and clear. And unlike his brother Judah in the previous chapter, chapter 38, Joseph resists. And in so doing, he gives us a model to deal with sexual sin, which is so prevalent in our modern age. How does he do it? How does he resist? Well, there's a few things here, isn't there? First of all, he labels what is about to take place or what she desires to take place as wicked. That's the first step, isn't it? To see that sexual sin is indeed wicked. It's a problem for us because we don't always see it that way. We see it as a little fun on the side. But Joseph labels it as wicked, what it really is. But then we see this. His reason for not going through with this sexual act with Potiphar's wife is because he sees it for what it really is, not only wicked, but a sin against God and a sin against his master, Potiphar. And again, all sexual sin is of this nature, isn't it? It's a sin against God. God says, don't do it. And it's a sin against another person. Now, again, we've got a problem with this, don't we, in our modern age? Because we say, so long as people consent, it's okay. Or worse still, the person on the screen that I'm looking at wouldn't even know I'm there. And yet, the Bible is clear that sexual sin is not only a sin against, uh, against God, but a sin against another person. Another person who is a husband or wife. Another person who is a son or a daughter. Another person 
who is being dishonoured by the sexual act that is done. And so we are to do what Joseph did and what we see in the New Testament, flee away from sexual sin. And this is what we see Joseph do. One day, Potiphar's wife once again thrusts herself upon him and Joseph literally flees. She grabs a hold of his coat and, and he runs away, leaving his coat behind. So important to him is, in, is his integrity and his desire not to sin that he will leave even his coat behind. And what does she do? Well, she frames him, doesn't she? Frames him for rape, leaving Joseph to be thrown in jail or thrown as these passages, these three chapters describe it as the pit. It's amazing, isn't it? Joseph goes out of his way to honour God. Joseph goes out of his way to do what is right. And it lands him in the pit. Is God still with him? Well, very much. Of course God is with him. God continues to be with him. Even though he finds himself in the pit. You see, it's easy for us to say, isn't it? I've honoured God. I've served him. I've obeyed him. I've done the right thing. Therefore, it should result in good life for me. I deserve better, God. Look what I've done for you. Now, there's no doubt. God calls on his children to obey him, both for his glory and for our good. But we must understand that there's not a direct line between our obedience to God and the blessing of this life. We see that here in Joseph. Joseph's obedience does not lead to blessing in life. In fact, the opposite. He's down the pit. Now, he's pretty lucky, really, isn't he? To only be down a pit. Potiphar would have had all of the reason in the world to have actually killed him on the spot. And yet, even if Joseph had have died on that occasion, God would still have been with him. And so it is with us. We must understand that our circumstances do not dictate whether or not God is blessing us or God is with us. God is with us because Jesus promised that God is with us. Well, the passage continues with Joseph in jail, in the pit. And he's shown favour by God there too. Just as he was in Potiphar's house, so he is made in charge of all of the jail, all of the pit, all of the prison. Now, again, it's a mixed blessing, isn't it? He wouldn't want to be there. Who would want to be down the pit? It's a horrible thing. And yet God is generous to him in that case as well. Remember Jesus' words to us? Jesus said this, I am with you sometimes. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Whether your life feels like it's in the pit or on top of the mountain, whether your life feels like it's going well or badly, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in him, hear Jesus' words, I am with you always. Well, with chapter 40 bearing down on us, we find Joseph still in jail. We're not exactly sure how long he's been there for, but he gets some company. 
Two men come to stay in the jail with him who are from Pharaoh's palace, from the very top of the tree in Egypt, the cupbearer and the baker. Now, these roles were super important in Pharaoh's household. They were, if you like, the last line of defence. If someone wanted to take out the king, they'd try to poison the king. There's heaps of movies about this, isn't there, where the king is poisoned. And so they would get the cupbearer and the baker to be the taste tester of the food and the drink to make sure there's no poison in it for the king. Now, for whatever reason, these two on this occasion are banished to prison themselves. Why? We don't know. Maybe, maybe Pharaoh got sick. He got, he got a bout of gastro or something and blamed it on his, on his uh, cupbearer and baker and you're banished. Or maybe they made an attempt on his life. We don't know. But chapter 40, verse 4 tells us they're there for a while. Look at chapter 40, verse 4. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with these two and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. No numbers on it, but it's for some time. It's a while. They get to know each other. They spend some time together. They're in jail for a while together. And after a while, the cupbearer and the baker both have dreams, or perhaps better described, nightmares. Because they trouble them when they wake up. I don't know if you've ever had a dream that's so vivid That when you wake up, you feel like you're still in the dream. I've told you this before, but the dream that I always remember from my teenage years is being in a parade. And down the parade uh, line would come a 90-foot pelican that was alive and eating people on the side of the road. It troubled me all day. My psychiatrist tells me it's uh, uh, too much soy sauce before bedtime. Uh, You know, that's a thing. So... uh, Soy sauce before bedtime gives you bad dreams. You can test it out tonight. Anyway, if you've ever had a dream so vivid, you'll know what it's like. These guys did. They woke up in a bit of a haze and they had some issues. We don't know what's going on. Look at what they say, chapter 40, verse 8. They said to Joseph, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. See what Joseph says here? God can do it. God is in charge of this situation. And here we see the the development of the man, Joseph. He could have taken the glory. We know he's a dreamer, don't we, from previous chapters, chapter 37. He's that dreamer. And here, he could easily have taken the glory for himself. Oh, tell me the dream. I'll tell you what it means. But no, he recognises and points to the fact that God is the one who can do it. Now think about this for a minute. We do now know that he has been in the pit at this moment for 11 years. This is not the good life. This is not the life that he's been living to the full, full of opportunity. I know pastorally that if anybody went through this as a pastor, people would be saying things like this to me. Where is God? What's he doing? Has he abandoned me? Doesn't God care about me anymore? They'd be annoyed and frustrated and angry with God. But notice what Joseph has done throughout this last decade. He has found this situation to strengthen his faith. And we know that because his natural instinct shows his heart. His natural instinct after 
10 years of horrendous conditions is to cry out to God. God can do it. What a change for this man, Joseph, from the, the, the entitled git he was in chapter 37 to now being this man of God. See, you and I need to know that if your next decade was difficult and full of hardship and anxiety, would your faith grow or shrink? Jesus says it another way, doesn't he? Jesus says in the parable of the sower that there will be reasons that some people fall away from the faith. Two reasons, in fact. One, life will get too busy and drown everything else out. Isn't that a modern phenomenon? Or two, life will get too hard and will fall away from Jesus. Well, here is the second of those reasons. Life is too hard, difficult, full of anxiety. Are you ready for those moments? Are you ready for those moments to take over your life and will your faith grow or shrink in that time? See, we bought the lie, haven't we, that God owes us the good life here and now. When God has already delivered to us the riches that only heaven can provide in the life to come. I don't know exactly what you, well, I do know for some of you what life is like right now, but I don't know for all of you. We're like an iceberg. There's so much below the surface. But when you get chronic illness, or when you lose your job, and you can't get one for another 10 years, or a loved one dies unexpectedly, or you get disease or various kinds of trials, will you blame God or strength, have your faith strengthened as you are drawn to trust in him? See, here's what 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us. The trials of life are designed to draw you to God, not away from him. How could that possibly be true? Well, as everything else is stripped away from us, what happens is we're, we're designed to come back to the God who made us. The number one thing we can do in life is trust God. And sometimes God will strip away all of the other things that you rely on so that you might trust in him, that's a time to come to him, not away from him. And, and Joseph knew this and he cries out, God can do it. And so he can. God can interpret these dreams. And so he says to the cupbearer, uh, cup what your dream means is that Pharaoh will in three days restore you to your position. Only when he does so, make sure you remember me and don't forget me so I can get out of this prison. And he turns to the baker and he says, your dream means that Pharaoh will restore you in three days only to have you killed. And we find out that's exactly what takes place. However, verse 23 of chapter 40, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so in chapter 41, after two whole years imagine how horrendous those extra two years would have been he's already been in there for a decade and now after two more years he's been forgotten it goes from bad to worse and you might say again where is God is God still with Joseph and the answer is yes God is still with Joseph even though he's honoured God in so much of his life and desired to do what God wants for him, there is still no improvement. 
And why is this? Well, because God is always working. But he's working to a greater and grander plan than either Joseph or we could ever see. He is always at work for his glory and for our good. Think of how this plays out throughout the Bible. God promised to Abraham a child and he had to wait 25 years. God said to to Moses, I will use you, but he was out in the desert for 40 years before being used by God. King David was anointed as king and yet has to run away from Saul for many, many years before he is finally installed as the king of Israel. Now, I don't want to be negative here, but you want to see what this passage has to say. God calls for our obedience, yes, to honour him as children. But we must not tie strings attached to our obedience to God. If I do this, God, for you, then you must provide this for me. No, God has already given to us as children of God an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, guarded by the very power of God. That's what 1 Peter 1 tells us. It's there for us. He's already given us all of the riches of the kingdom. Yes, it's not yet, but these are the riches that God has given to us. And so if we understand this, it will reorient the way we live our lives. See, what God has given to us is not for this world, but for the world to come. It's possible that your next 20, 40, 60, 80 years, however long God gives you in this world, it's possible, let me uh, say this clearly, it's possible it may be a complete misery for you. I hope it's not. But if it is, God has not forgotten you. In Jesus Christ, he has remembered you. In Jesus Christ, he has set his love upon you. In Jesus Christ, he has given you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. So why do we put so much energy and effort into this life? Looking for the promises of God in this life now when he says they are to come. This is why we wait. This is the the tenor of the Christian life is to be people who wait. But the tendency of the modern church in 2023, in all different facets, is to reach into the future and to grab what belongs to the future and try and pull it into the present. God, bless me here and now. Show me your presence. Show me you're here with me. Give me all of the success that I deserve right now because I honour you. And it's a delayed blessing. And when we get it here and now, we thank God for it. But we must see life now for what it is, blessing in the pit with the good stuff to come. And so when we're given good things by God, we take it and we thank him. But we set our eyes on the things to come. These beautiful and wonderful things that he's given to us in Jesus. Well, chapter 41 tells us it's been two more years. And finally, we see Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Another dream. This time, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, has a dream, or more to the point, a nightmare. Likewise, it is a dream that no one can understand. All of the wise men of Egypt can't understand it, and Pharaoh himself cannot understand it. And he's given two dreams that are similar. 
but strange, a bit like my pelican. Seven fat cows come out of the Nile, and then seven scrawny thin cows come out of the Nile, and the thin cows eat the fat cows. And then seven heads of grain are seen, and they're th uh, thick and, and fat and plump, and seven thin heads of grain come, and, and they eat the fat ones. And, and nobody understands what's going on. Well, the cupbearer hears of all of this, and look at what he says, chapter 41, verse 9. Chapter 41, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to the Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told, when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. I remember this guy. He's down in that pit, down in that jail. So they go and get Joseph. He shaves up. He gets himself ready. Think of the pressure this must have been. He's coming out of the jail and into the presence of the king, the Pharaoh, who can deal with you however he wants, whenever he wants. Think also of this. In those days, Pharaoh not only thought of himself as a king, but a god. And in a moment of weakness, this so-called god can't understand the dream. What might happen? Well, look at what happens when Joseph comes before him. Verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, it is not in me. God will give, a give Pharaoh a favourable answer. Think of this again for a minute. Joseph has been down the pit, forgotten, left, to dead, left for dead down there. And now he sees his freedom. I've heard you can do dream, uh, dream understanding, dream, dream interpretation. Wouldn't you just say, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. And gain your own freedom. Maybe that's just what I would do. But he doesn't. At the, risk of, at the risk of being thrown down the pit again or worse dying, he says, my God is better than you, you so-called God Pharaoh. That's pretty full on. And yet it's a great model of strength for faith under pressure. He stands for the truth under the greatest of pressure. He says to Pharaoh, effectively, you're not a God, my God's the true God. What a heavy statement. And so he tells him that what the dream means. You'll have in Egypt seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of terrible, horrible famine. And we know from the rest of this chapter, that's exactly what happens. And so Joseph says, I think you should embark on a plan, Pharaoh. During the seven years of abundance, get 20% of what's made and pack it away for a better day, uh, for, a, for a worse day. Not only that, you should get someone to, uh, to administer this whole project. And that's exactly what happens. But here, once again, we see through Joseph and in the words here in this passage that God is in charge of history. God is the one who is in charge. God is the one who knows about the famine and the feast. God is the one who is in charge of all of history. We, not, we must not lose sight of that fact today. In a politicised world that is getting highly 
uh, highly and more and more uh, politicised. We tend to think like the culture around us. That if we just get the right politicians or we just get the right advocates or we just agitate more, more and more, we will get this world to a perfect place where it needs to go. And whilst there's nothing wrong with engaging and respecting in the work of politics, we must understand this. God is the God of history. Our hope is in him. The change that we might look to seek to bring about is a change that only God himself can bring around the world, the church is getting more politicised. We think we can fix the world. Or we put our head in our hands and say we can't fix the world. And that seems to match with one side of the political persuasion or the other, but an emphasis on either one of those is to take our eyes off the God who is the God of history. The God who works with good and evil to bring about his purposes. And whilst we should play our part, we need to re remember and recognise the government's not the Messiah, our political parties aren't the Messiah, Jesus is, because God is the sovereign king of history. And Joseph knows this. God is in charge. He will bring seven years of feast and then seven years of famine. But rather than being uh, uh, believing in the sovereign God who leads to inaction, Joseph says, take action. This is what you should do. In the light of God's sovereign control of history, take action. And so ought we, and Joseph does. He is made two, second in charge of all of Egypt under Pharaoh. Well, it takes us to chapter 41, verse 46. Look at chapter 41, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. He's the second in charge. And we're told here that he marries an Egyptian wife and yet does not sell out to his true identity, his true self. He has two children. Two children that we see in verses 50 to 52 of this passage. Look at it there again. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asen, uh, Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He gives his children Hebrew names. A reminder of who he really is. A reminder that he's come to peace with the situation that he finds himself in with all of its ups and downs. But a reminder of his true identity. I'm not Egyptian. I'm an Israelite. I'm, a people of the I'm one of the people of the promise. I'm one of the people of God. See, for 13 years now, he's been from... Uh, uh, sold as a slave to now being the second in charge of all of Egypt and God has been with him throughout the horrific ups and downs and yet he knows who he truly is he is a child of God a man of the promise someone who should honor God in all of his life see this is the truth of us if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the ups and downs of your life you are a child of God and your task is to honour God in all of the decisions, in the downs and in the ups, and to honour him in all that you do, and to recognise that this is your identity. 
as a child of God. And so in all circumstances, no matter who you are, because of what Jesus has done for you, know that you are a child of God, whatever the circumstances. And don't read your circumstances as God having abandoned you. He is always with you. And so live your life honouring to the Lord God who saved you, as we see Joseph did. Well, it's almost question time. There's lots of stuff to talk about today. So you might like to ask a question. Uh, the instructions are up on the screen. The uh, hashtag is HBSP. I'm going to check for a few questions and come back and answer them uh, after the next song as well. I couldn't decide.